You find your place in Romans chapter 16, and then I will begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we gather here this morning to hear your word, I pray, God, that you truly would open up our eyes, our understanding to your holy word, open up our hearts to the work of your spirit, that we could be the people that you want us to be. Everyone who is here this morning who has been born again, and knows Christ as their Savior, freely acknowledges that all that we are, all that we have, all that we will ever be is owing to your grace. You saved us by your grace and you, you keep us by your grace. And we long for the day when we will stand before you completely sanctified just as we have been justified and clothed with the righteousness of Christ we long for the day when our practical working out of that righteousness will be complete until we arrive there Lord help us to continue to lean upon you you provide everything that we need for a life of faith and godliness and Father, I pray that you will give us the patience to endure the trials of life, to bear up under those trials, and Lord, to, to live peaceably with one another as you work in the lives of your people to sanctify them, Lord, may, may we realize that, that we too Lord, are ever in need of that sanctification. And we ask that people would be patient with us. And so must we be patient with them. So, Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ and the gospel that goes forth into this world in his name for his death, burial, and resurrection, for his ascension to glory for him being seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high and Lord for his coming again. We long for that day when we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. But now, Lord, I pray our attention might be given to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is part three of my attempted close of the book of Romans. I think there'll probably be one more rest message. But I, I'm certain that you would all agree with me in calling Paul, the Apostle Paul, a people person. In the first five verses of Romans 16, he mentioned three very dear people who served alongside him in the gospel. The first was Phoebe, who was unknown to the church at Rome, the destination of this letter. So Paul wanted them to give her a warm welcome and, and assist her with whatever she needed when she arrived there. She had been his personal benefactor in Sincrea. And then in verses 3 and 5, he sends his greeting to a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were not only his co-laborers in the gospel work, but ones who had risked their very life for him. They also had a church gathering in their home. And I was, as I was thinking of the names in this last chapter of the book of Romans, it made me be thankful for all of the helpers that I have had in the gospel work. Not only in this church for over three decades, but in the church prior to this where I served. So many people, too many. I, I just, some, you know, I forget and you just go back. God brings people back to your mind. But so many have been faithful helpers in the work of the gospel. And none more significant than my wife. 
who has been with me for all of these years and planting a church in Pennsylvania and replanting a church here. And you have no idea of all the work that goes into doing those kinds of things. I couldn't have done it by myself. Aquila and Priscilla were a husband and wife team. And it's likely that Andronicus and Junia were another husband and wife team mentioned here in, uh, in this chapter. Tryphena and Tryphosis, we'll get to them. They may have been sisters. In fact, they may have been twin sisters. But all of them, individuals and as teams, were co-laborers with Paul. And they were a great blessing to him. So I would just challenge you who are married. You serve your family. You work, whatever else you do. But serve together as a team for Jesus Christ. Serve together as a family. Bring your children up, not only in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, but bring your children up with a heart to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And let them see that example in you. That's the most important thing. Now, Paul will continue to mention numerous other people by name in verses 5 through 24. There is very little said about most of them. So I can't elaborate too much. But we do know this. The old saying is true. Many hands make light work. They make the task easier. So here, beginning in verse 5, we see a, a list of these special saints at Rome. He says, Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Asia unto Christ. This man's name <laughs> means praiseworthy. He, and he certainly was praiseworthy. It's only the only mention of him here in, in the New Testament. But he knew Paul in, in Asia. And Asia was a Roman province that embraced the greater part of the Western Asia Minor. Ephesus was the capital of Asia. And this name Asia occurs 20 times in the New Testament. It's associated with places that we would put in modern day Turkey. Um, Acts 20.16 says, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia. So it's not the Asia that we think about today, the Asian countries. For he was hurrying, if it might be possible for him to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. I think we have a little picture here. of uh, You can see Ephesus over there on the far left and Colossae and Antioch in, in this whole area of Asia Minor in Galatia. So that gives you a little bit idea of where he was talking about talking about here in Acts chapter 20, verse 16. Now, Epinetus is one of the four people that call beloved. The others are Ampilus in verse 8, Stachus in verse 9, and Persis in verse 12. Beloved. He calls this man beloved. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, the book begins to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. Paul to be saints. Don't get confused about what that word saints means. Saints simply means separated ones. It's not a class of people that have been super holy or anything of that sort. We all are in the process of being made holy. But it means that they've just been separated from the world. They've been separated by the grace of God. They're believers. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved of God. Did you ever stop to think about that? You know, Christ is heavy. You're beloved of God. Beloved is from the word agape. Agape. First Thessalonians 2.8 says this. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing, Paul says, to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, which he did, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. That's a gapatoi variation of that word. You were dear to us. And what are you saying? You were beloved. You were much loved. 
Matthew 3.16, baptism of Jesus. When he had been baptized, Jesus up, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Epinatus was the first fruits of Asia, Paul says. When you think of first fruits, think of some, it's really speaking of first in order. First in order. Israel had a feast day known as first fruits, celebrated on one day. And it celebrated the ripening of the grain harvest in the spring, the barley harvest. And a small portion of that grain was collected. It was, it was beaten into flour. And then it was presented to the Lord as a token, a token of the harvest that would be gathered in. And the metaphor of, of first fruits is used a number of times in the Bible. The Bible says that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means death. Christ conquered death and he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now there were other people who died prior to this, but Christ Jesus was the only one who ever resurrected by his own power in cooperation with the Father or in, in conjunction with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He had the power to raise himself from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, turn there, verse 19. A lot of people put their hope in life in things and people who can't do anything from them, for them. So Paul says this, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitied. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. If Jesus didn't conquer death, then we would, we'd be in the class of the rest of the world with absolutely no hope. Most to be pitied. But he says, for since by man came death. Who was that man? Adam, the first man who fell into sin. By man, this is the second man, Christ Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. Mark it down. For in Adam all die. You wonder why? You do the things that you do, why you sin? Because you have a sin nature. Where'd you get that sin nature? From Adam, the first, along with Eve, who deliberately disobeyed God. And this plunged his whole world into death and sin as a result. And that's why it says, for as in Adam all die. All die. Everybody's going to die. Unless the generation, except for the generation that's alive at the rapture. We're all going to die. But not only a physical death, a spiritual death that the Bible calls a second death, which is eternal separation from God. The first death is the separation of the, the, the soul from the body. The body dies. Second death is the separation of the soul from God forever. Unless a person is born again. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. They will rise again. Their bodies will one day be resurrected from the dead. So Christ is the first fruits of those who have died. As and believers, the Holy Spirit is described in relation to Christ's work as the seal of God's ownership upon us. That's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And also in Romans 8, 23, the Spirit is the first fruits and the deposit of our full inheritance, which is yet to come. In other words, when God saved you, he just didn't leave you on your own. He says, I will give to you my spirit, and he will abide with you forever. So that receiving of the Holy Spirit, that giving of the Holy Spirit, who helps us to live a life that would glorify Christ, he is the down payment. He is the guarantee. He was the seal of a future inheritance that we're going to receive, the, all of the inheritance that God has for us. But look at look in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. 
seal of God's ownership upon us is the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Christ, and now notice the order here, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the word of truth. No one is saved apart from hearing the word of God. Hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, why he came into this world, suffering to die for their sin. So, so you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then it says, in whom also having believed. So it's not enough to hear. You have to believe the message of the gospel. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment of our inheritance until uh, the redemption of the purchased possession, that be the, 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 our body, the you know, resurrected body and everything that we will receive in, in heaven afterwards to the praise of his glory. But it says you were sealed. What does that mean? The sealing there is a mark of security and permanence. I do not believe you can lose your salvation for many reasons. One of them is stated here. When God saved you, he sealed you. He guaranteed that he will complete the good work that he began in you. Isn't that great? We get frustrated with ourselves, don't we? We're not, we're not where we would like to be in terms of sanctification. And we get frustrated with other people because they're not where we would like them to be either. But one day, what? We're going to arrive. And with the Bible, as John says, we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be like him. Wow. That's wonderful. Receive our inheritance. And then Eponidas was the first fruits of Asia. What does that mean? He, well, he was, he was the first convert. The first convert. You ever stop to think that the day is coming when someone will be the last person to be saved? How would you like to be that fellow in glory? The last person to taste of the grace of God in salvation. Now, we don't know when that will be. So what's our mission? Until then, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to every creature, just as Jesus commanded. So moving on, he talks about Mary. Jewish name is Miriam. It was a very common Jewish name, but it was also used among the Gentiles. But we assume here that she was, she was Jewish, probably. And it says, greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. In verse 12, there are three others who labored like Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. And the word, and I've mentioned this before, I know I have, the word labor utilizes a verb, kopiao, which describes work that is wearisome. Work. When you think of something that's copious, you think of a large amount. So if you have a copious amount of work, you got a lot of work to do. But this, this goes beyond that, and it speaks to the, the nature of the work. It's very demanding. And this is interesting because I mentioned Tryphena and Tryphosa. They were laborers. And their names mean luxurious or delicate. And Alexander McLaren in his commentary said this, two dainty women by name, probably belonging to a class in which a delicate withdrawal from effort and toil was thought to be a woman's distinctive mark. She was delicate. She didn't get her hands dirty with work and that kind of a thing. But they had fled from this luxury. And they had chosen the better part of labor in the Lord. They didn't mind working hard for Jesus Christ. And I hope you don't mind either. Because that's what the gospel work is. It's hard work. It's, it's demanding work. Revelation 2, 1, and to the angel and to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he, who holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the churches. I know thy works. Coming from Jesus, 
the eternal, omniscient God. That's a very telling statement. He's really saying the same thing to all of us. He's really saying the same thing to Faith Community Bible Church. I know thy works. And thy labor. And thy patience. And how you cannot bear them who are evil and you've tried them which say that they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. Can you go through the churches of Asia Minor there that the Lord addresses in the book of Revelation? There's only one that receives a commendation. What is it? You know what church that is? Hmm? Anybody? Church of Philadelphia. Everything else. Jesus points out some good things in some of them. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And with Ephesus is, you've left your first love. So it's not only, it's not only our responsibility to start strong and to work hard, but to keep pressing on for Jesus Christ in our labors. So here's my translation of Mary, this verse. Mary labored mightily with exhausting work. That's what the word copiao means. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1. let me read this for you. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy and to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you. So he's writing the church at Thessalonica, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he says this in chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He mentions their labor of love. And that particular expression, their labor of love, it really refers to work done without financial compensation. It's just freely done to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's work motivated, motivated by a commitment and a desire to help other people, to serve God. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints. That's the labor of love, ministering to the saints. And do minister, do serve. So what's your service like to other people beyond your immediate family circle? And you know, when Paul speaks of Mary's labor, he uses a past tense, which is indicative of Paul basically telling her, well done. Her work was well done, her labor. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 20, parable of the talents it says the one that received five talents came and brought five other talents saying lord you delivered to me five and i've gained five more and his lord said unto him well done that's what paul saying to mary well done thou good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a few things i will make you a ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of the lord that's a motivation for Christian service. To hear Christ say to you one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Receive your reward. You may not have received it in this life. You won't always be rewarded in this life. I'll make you ruler over many nations. I believe that their responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. So here's where, here's where we're at, right? We're in the church age. We're, we're waiting for the rapture of the church. And in the weeks coming, I will, be tell you, I will tell you why I believe in the rapture of the church. But we will be waiting for the rapture of the church. In other words, we're waiting for the Christ. We're waiting for Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for the Antichrist. We who know him. But after that event, sometime afterwards, not too long 
this world will go in tribulation, such as was never seen. And if you think it's bad out there now, and you don't know Christ, and you were to go into the tribulation period, God said, Jesus says that unless that that time period of seven years was shortened in eternity past, shortened by God, limited to seven years, nobody would be alive. Everybody would be, be, be dead. And I was talking to Sunday school about this. People in that time period are going to face three things. The wrath of man, the Antichrist, right? They're going to face the wrath of the Lamb. And God, the unsealing all these bold judgments and all of these things are going to be poured out. They're going to face calamities and, and turmoil and fear. And people are going to want to call out to be to die, but they won't be able to die. It's going to be a horrible, horrible period of time for those who don't know Christ. But after that period of time, Christ will come again all the way down to the earth. And the Bible says he's going to take his place in Jerusalem on the throne there in a renewed temple, rebuilt temple, and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. We call that the millennial age. And we're going to rule with him. And I believe that those who are faithful in serving God right now will be given greater responsibilities of service during that millennial age. I think the, the scripture bears that out. Luke 16 Jesus says, He said unto him, Well, well that well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. I will give you authority over ten cities. So he was faithful in little. He's going to be faithful in much. That's what the Bible teaches. Think of 2 Timothy 2.3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him or called him to be a soldier. We're all soldiers, right? We're all foot soldiers in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any rank, but we're going to have a rank maybe later on, right? Where we can be given greater responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. But Paul told the young Timothy, while you're, while you're working, while you're serving God, while you are serving as a soldier in the, for the Lord Jesus Christ, don't become entangled. Empleco is the verb. Don't become entangled with the things of this life. And that word means to become so entwined in an activity, so wrapped up in the things of life, that it interferes with your main objective as a Christian. What is that? To serve the one who has called you to be a soldier for him, to be a witness for him, to live your life for him. So that should pause, just, just that verse alone. Should, should cause us to reflect upon our life. How many things are we so wrapped up in it leaves us no time to serve God? None. It's all about us and very little about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were in Christ before me, also were in Christ before me. Kinsmen here, is a term referring to the camaraderie that they had as, as fellow Jews. So it denotes a common bond. The name Junia, I believe, was a woman. There's no evidence that, that a man ever had the name Junius. We're told here they were fellow prisoners with Paul. There's no mention of where that was. Maybe it, it could, could possibly mean they were fellow prisoners like Paul, where they were sharing in the same type of the sufferings that he experienced and ended up in, in, in jail with. But I probably tend to think that they did suffer imprisonment with him. Clement of Rome, he wrote around the 90 AD, uh, he said there were seven different imprisonments during those times, beginning with the first Roman persecution and continuing on up until, uh, up until that time. And it's never stopped, never stopped. Open Doors Ministry tracks this, says that there's about 360 million Christians last year living in countries where persecution was significant. 
It's 360 million. 5,600 Christians were murdered for the cause of Christ. 6,000 were detained or imprisoned. 4,000 were kidnapped. Many of them, we don't even know where their whereabouts are. We don't know how many are really in concentration camps like in North Korea. 5,000 churches and other religious facilities were, were destroyed. The opposition to the gospel has never ceased since the first century. And, not, and we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because you are not doing the things that people without Christ, who we call part of the world system, aren't doing, the world, the world sees you as an odd, the oddball, the obstacle. If you were of the world, the world would love its own because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, you are the object of the world's hatred. The world hates you. Now, if the world hates you, which Jesus says it will, make sure on your personal level it's for the right reason. All right? You are not under any obligation to make someone who is antagonistic to the Christian worldview feel loved. There is a big difference between loving people and having those people feel loved by you. You're under no obligation to make people feel loved by you. None. A pro-abortionist or a homosexual activist will never feel loved by you. They just won't. Your obligation, though, is to love them by telling them the truth. Right? That's how you love people. You tell them the truth. Paul told the Galatians, have I therefore become your enemy? Because I, I tell you the truth, that's Galatians 4.16. We will make enemies by telling people the truth. If you want a really smooth sailing, don't, don't tell the truth to anybody. Just be quiet. Don't ruffle any feathers. But that's not the Christian way. Doug Ponder said this, Jesus was not murdered because he was too nice, but because he did and said things that caused people to despise him. He dared to tell them the truth in love. And in all of that, he was without sin. So we can be bold for Jesus Christ, confident, but not arrogant. And we can tell people the truth without getting angry at them because of their sin. And sometimes that's hard to do. Andronicus and Junia says, verse 7, were of note. That, that simply means well-known among the apostles. They had a good reputation among the apostles. Epistemos is the, is the word for of note, and it, it its primary meaning, it means to bear a mark, to stamp something with a special mark, like, a, like an item that you might see with an engraving upon it that makes that item stand out. Well, they stood out. They were recognized by the apostles. A negative example of this is Barabbas, Matthew 27, 15. Now at the feast, the governor, that's Pilate, was wont to release into the people a prisoner whom they wanted, and they and it says, and they then had a notable prisoner. Same word, just in a negative connotation. Barabbas stood out, not like not like Andronicus and Junius stood out because of their good reputation among the apostles, but he stood out because he was a notorious criminal. So he was he was noted in a bad way. He was a robber, the Bible says. He robbers in that day obtained people's goods by acts of violence just like they do today but more than that he was an insurgent against rome along with those who joined in his crimes and he was ultimately charged with murder and that's why he was put into prison 
Mark 15, 6 says, now at the feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomever they desired, what we just read in Matthew. And there was one named Barabbas who lay bound with them that had made an insurrection with him and who had committed murder in the insurrection. And if you commit insurrection against Rome, you're gone. That's it. Capital punishment. Also says that Andronicus and Junia were in Christ before Paul. I think they were probably members of the Jerusalem church. Paul wasn't saved till much later. And that little formula there, those little two words, in Christ, that little phrase is used hundred times or more in the New Testament. Sometimes it appears as in him, in Christ Jesus, in Christ. In him appears 41 times. Here we find in Christ in verses 7, verses 19, verse 10, in the Lord, in verses 11, 12, and 13. And the verb, by the way, is in the perfect tense, indicating a past action with continuing results. You are in Christ, and you're still in Christ. You'll forever be in Christ, because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of uh, redemption. It's interesting, if you look in Ephesians, it states that believers have adop adoption. We've been adopted with the full guarantee of our inheritance to come as the adopted sons of Jesus Christ. We've received grace. We've received redemption. We've received forgiveness. We have hope. We have sealing in Christ. In Christ, all of those things. Matter of fact, every spiritual blessing that you have, the Bible says, is located in Jesus Christ. It's in him. Every spiritual blessing. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You're not going to suffer judgment if you are in Christ. Why? Why? Because he took the judgment. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be right, the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. He took our punishment. Isaiah chapter 53, when you have time, read it. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the in Christ phrase here is synonymous with salvation. Andronicus and Junior heard the gospel before Paul and received it by faith. And all people who are saved share a common salvation in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And I think this tells us that Jesus is the locus. He is the spear of salvation. And if you want to be saved, you need to be in Christ. In Christ. Just stop and think about it this way. When you were born, as a result of the sin nature that you received from Adam, you're in Adam. Adam is the corporate head the federal head, the representative of fallen humanity. Jesus Christ is the corporate head, the representative of a new humanity. And if you want to be part of that new humanity, you need to be in Christ. So chosen in Christ's election is a corporate concept in that sense. It's a positional truth. You know what it means to us? It means that since we are in Christ, we are on the narrow road to eternal life. Praise God. We're a saint, not an ain't. That's what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, you're either a saint or an ain't. It's one or the other, right? Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be what? In Christ. He is a new person, a new creation. Old things are passed away. That means in the process of passing away. I think you've probably noticed this, that when you got saved, you sinned again. Right? You weren't completely sanctified. And I have news for you. Before this day is out, you're likely to sin again. And before this week is out, you're likely to sin again and again and again. So this process of sanctification is ongoing. Your, your 
life will ultimately be completely changed one day. But the process of sanctification, as I have said many times, is progressive. So praise God you're in Christ. You got this new life. To be outside of Christ means that you are not saved, that you do not possess spiritual life. And that means that you are not on the, on the narrow road to eternal life. You are on the broad road, the broad path, according to Jesus, to destruction. See, the world, a lot of people in this world think uh, everything turns out okay in the end. You know, majority of people will go to heaven or whatever they want to call heaven. They'll be okay. But Jesus says it's not that way. The majority of people are on a broad path that leads to separation from God forever. You don't have Christ. Now listen to me. No one is saved. I, I just was thinking about this. No one is saved by giving their heart to Christ. No one is saved by asking Jesus into their heart. Whatever that means. The Bible doesn't use that terminology. And the Bible says we're to speak with conciseness. That means with clarity. When Paul prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in Ephesians 3.17, he is referring to believers who had already received Christ. People are saved not by asking Jesus into their heart, but by admitting their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness, which only Jesus Christ can offer them. It is receiving by an act of simple faith the free gift of eternal life that God offers to all men, John 3.16. So I'll just say this, be precise with people when you share the gospel with them. Tell them why they need salvation because of their sinfulness. Because we've all, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. Point them to Jesus, who alone knew no sin, so that he could be the sacrifice for their sins. The unblemished Lamb of God. Freedom, Pleas, or Pleas, my beloved in the Lord, verse 8. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. So these three here, Urbane and, and Pleas and Stachus, were, were beloved in Urbane. It was a, a fellow laborer. Those were common slave names in that day, all of them, common slave names. You know what's interesting? Many slaves were saved in that day. And they became slaves of Jesus Christ. They were slaves to men, didn't automatically free them from that position when they got saved, but now they had a master, a new master. And it was Jesus Christ. And they, they were not told to, you know, try to rebel against your earthly masters. No, Scripture says you respect them and, and you serve them because you know you have a master over you, an ultimate master over you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, salute Apelles, uh, approved in Christ. That word approved was used of, the words that, of a word that they used to test metals to see if it was genuine. So it means to test and to be found genuine, like a precious metal. You heard the expression, the real McCoy? The real deal? Are you the real deal? Are you, are you sincere? Are you, are you living a genuine Christian life? 1 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Timothy, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So Paul was thankful for the genuine, the sincere faith that was in Timothy. A lot of people walk around, they think they're saved, they're not saved. They don't have a, they don't have a true saving faith because they're, they're thinking, well, I, uh, 
yeah, Jesus came and he died for me, but I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And they just bring in all kind of works in there. But we're not saved by works, are we? For by what? Grace, the song we sang this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't work for a gift. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. Verse 19, salute them are of Aristobulus's household. This is interesting. Aristobulus was a grandson of Herod the Great. He mentions Narcissus. Narcissus was a well-known free man. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that are of the household of Narcissus. That's actually verse 11, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena. I mentioned them in Tryphosa, who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. And then he mentions in 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. The same idea. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. There's been a lot of commentary written about Rufus, even though there isn't much said about him here. And the belief is that he could be the son of Simon Cyrene, who carried the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cyrene was a, in North Africa, was in modern-day Libya. And we know from the scripture that people from Cyrene were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Mark 15, 21 says, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And there's extra biblical evidence that suggests Rufus was the son of Simon Cyrene, who got saved in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, most likely. And Mark most likely wrote his account, Mark 15, which I just read, of Jesus' life while he was in Rome. That's the prevailing opinion. And, and, and gearing it toward Roman Christians. So he was using names that were familiar to the people in the church of Rome, they probably didn't know Simon of Cyrene, but they knew his son Rufus. And Paul also mentions that it that he that he was very close to the mother of Rufus. She was like she was like a mother to him. I should note this that many Cyrenians settled in Antioch, and Paul could have met the mother of Rufus there in Antioch. Acts eleven nineteen. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So she may have been one of them there in Antioch that Paul met, and he became, he loved her. She became very dear to him as a mother. And again, we mentioned it says Rufus was chosen or elect in the Lord. It certainly tells us that he was a believer. Everyone who is chosen or elect, as I said prior to this, is chosen in Christ, elect in Christ. But I think it goes beyond just that when it says he was chosen. I think that, that, it, that this idea also entails the thought of a choice servant. He was a choice servant. In the Septuagint, the word electus is used to refer to many things that were considered of choice value. It's used repeatedly over and over again. Choice gifts, choice men of Israel. Jesus was God's choice servant, his beloved one. Israel was God's chosen nation, his choice nation. He chose them to serve in a, in a special way in the unfolding of the, his plan of redemption, the Levites were elect. They were chosen for a particular service. The Israelites were chosen in Abraham, the corporate head, and then the patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob in Israel. Jacob was chosen in the womb. And at the same time, his descendants were chosen through him. What were they chosen for? To serve the Lord God of Israel. So you were chosen not to sit, but to, to serve. You were chosen to follow Christ's path of being a servant. And all of the names that we read here in Romans chapter 16, all of them, some 
there's a little bit more said about them, but all of them were servants of Jesus Christ. All of them. You get on to verse 14. Greet, uh, uh, how do we say this? A Cenaritus, Philegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brother who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerusus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Anonymous to us, really. We really don't know anything about them. But Paul knew them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. That would be the churches from the other regions. Greet with a holy kiss. This was a customary way in the culture of that day, which expressed a, a strong family bond of love among Christians. Now, we don't, we don't follow that practice today, but our love should be just as sincere, just as genuine. A couple of scriptures to leave you with, Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What did Jesus say? By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you have all the answers. If you have love one for another. In Hebrews 13, 1, short verse, let brotherly love continue. You know, we're going to see, and Paul, I'm closing now, but Paul called, right after Paul, you know, lists all these people and he gets into warning about division. It almost seems like it interrupts the flow of thought there in the book of Romans completely. Where did this come from? Because Satan is always at work, right? God's the great uniter. Satan's the great divider. So this is a lesson that we have to take with us. Paul loved all of these people and they loved Paul. And that should be characteristic of every church that names the name of Jesus Christ. We be brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let brotherly love continue. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the truth that's tucked away here in Romans 16. Help us, Lord, to apply these things to our life and the life right here in our church. Thank you, Lord, for those who, who have a heart to serve. And I pray, God, that you will bless them for their labor of love. And, Lord, that many more would want to come on board and share in that labor of love. Not for personal recognition, but for the honor, praise, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.